Hello, this is Ryan Kulik, the producer of High Heels and Politics. Before we begin, a couple of things I wanted to tell you guys about. This uh, interview was recorded at Sheriff Simon Lisa's house, so you're going to hear a dog in the background at one time, I guess agreeing with what uh, Sheriff is saying, and you're also going to hear some chimes from a grandfather clock, so it just kind of shows you guys that we can record these shows anywhere. And then the other thing I wanted to tell you about is we do speak a little bit of the movie The People vs. Larry Flint, the Oscar-nominated film about Larry Flint and how James Carville plays Sheriff Simon Lee in the movie. There was also another movie that came out a little bit later in 2000 called Dirty Pictures with James Woods in it, and Craig T. Nelson plays Simon Lee in there. We weren't able to talk about it during the podcast, but if you're interested in that time and you want to see these fictional representations, the sheriff did say he preferred Craig T. Nelson to James Carville, but you'll get the point when you hear the conversation. So if you are interested in being on High Heels in Politics or creating your own podcast, you can contact me, Ryan Kulik, at 513-600-8077. Now I'm going to let Marianne take over. Welcome to High Heels in Politics with Marianne Christie. This is the podcast where current and future leaders discuss the issues facing us in Southwest Ohio and beyond. Here is Marianne Christie. High Heels and Politics guest today is what many term as Cincinnati's legal guardian of morality. There's a reason why for many years Cincinnati has never had adult bookstores, peep shows, and why the exhibit of erotic photographs by Robert Maplethorpe was a criminal matter. The hardliner Hamilton County Sheriff and prosecutor made a career and a crusade of that war. Cincinnati residents credit Simon Lease, the Hamilton County Sheriff. Some described him as an elected official as being cocky, tough, bullying, while others say he was a hard-working, highly principled prosecutor and sheriff that represented the values of the people of Cincinnati and Hamilton County. Now, Cy Lease is generally remembered as a sheriff, but he served as prosecutor, judge, as well as an assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of Ohio. Cy was born and raised in Cincinnati and has taken on major issues such as the obscenity conviction against Hustler magazine owner. He prosecuted the erotic photographs by Maplethorpe. Convicted a Cincinnati police chief of corruption, and many Cincinnatians remember the investigation that forced the resignation of Cincinnati Councilmember Jerry Springer on prostitution charges. Yes, for our listeners, that is the TV star Jerry Springer. Welcome, Cy. Let's start out with sharing with the listeners the high-profile trial against Larry Flint that resulted in a Hollywood movie, The People versus Larry Flint, in which you were played by James Carville. That's correct. He did play me in that particular movie, but I can say this. He was not the person I would have picked to represent me in that movie. He was a political strategist for the Democrat out of Washington, D.C. That movie, why it became such a controversial issue is beyond my comprehension. It was a very simple case. It wasn't that involved. You got to understand, we have obscenity laws in Ohio, and that movie absolutely violated our obscenity laws, and that's why prosecution was brought against it. I remember in, in that trial, 
when I argued the case before the jury. I went before the jury box, and I took a piece of chalk, and I bent over in front of the jury box. I drew a whole line with that piece of chalk all the way in front of the jury box. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, it's up to you to determine what type of community you want. You want a community that's wholesome, moral, outstanding, or you want to allow that type of filth to permeate our community? Well, they deliberated, and they decided they didn't want that type of community, and as a result, he was convicted. The next thing was the Maplethorpe exhibit that was held at the Contemporary Art Center. Now, why did you go after those photographs? That wasn't a very difficult decision to make. <laughs> if you've seen some of those photographs, they were almost beyond description. When you have an arm going up the rear end of a person's body, it's, you know, it doesn't even make sense. And, you know, unfortunately, um, because we got involved in that particular case, I wasn't a prosecutor at the time. I was a sheriff, and I worked with Hart Ney in the prosecution of that case. He and I agreed that something had to be done about it. So we did go down there and, and, and raided the, raided the um, museum and seized those photographs. And it's just unbelievable. That case caused so much controversy. The only problem with going and doing things like that, it creates an interest of the local people in town. And had I not done anything, that probably would have went away and nothing would have happened. But because of the publicity surrounding that raid, there were a number of people in this community that wanted to go see it. Had I not even done anything about it, people wouldn't even know that show was on display down at the museum center. And it, it just, I find it very difficult to believe that that case didn't end up in a, in a conviction. And the only reason it didn't end up in, con, uh, in a conviction was because Art Ney handed that case off to the Hamilton County Municipal Court prosecutors, the city prosecutor's office. And they assigned a, a prosecutor had never tried an obscenity case in his life and just didn't know what he was doing. And as a result, because he didn't know what he was doing, the jury decided to acquit the artist that, who photographed those photographs. You've had a lot of other different cases, but perhaps the prostitution investigation of Jerry Springer. What about that case? That came about because I had a prosecutor by the name of Dave Allman. He's working for me. And he had had a client in the past before he came to work for me who was a, a gal that knew something about what Jerry Springer was doing. And she came to see Dave Albany's, and Dave Albany's, after he determined what Springer was doing with those women, came in to me to see me and to see if I wanted to do anything. And I'll never forget, I thought, my, we can't have a, a city councilman participating in whorehouses. So I decided, the first thing I did, I, I went to see Saka Wethi, who was a chairman of the, of the Democratic Party. And I said, Saka, you know, we've got to do something here. Either you, you make some move on it, or I'm going to make some move on it. And after a long dissertation, he agreed that something had to be done. And so based upon that conversation, that's when that case went went to the grand jury, and he was indicted for participating and in, in, in using money to pay for prostitutes. 
he paid for by a check. I thought that was the... Him dummy was. He paid for their services by one of his written checks. It was interesting. It forced him to resign, right? Yeah. After, after we... After we um, after we charged him, Saka forced him to step aside and resign. Yeah. But then he turned around the next election and he won. Yeah. People, I don't understand people today. They, they had, when it comes to morals, people don't really care much about morals anymore. They don't consider it a very serious issue. And I think it's a very, I think morals are very, very important in life for a wholesome, wholesome, wholesome community in, in, in the area. you got to have morals. Well, you've never avoided a challenge in your time at the in public office. Perhaps it was your Marine training, but your investigation. Talk about that that led to a trial for the Cincinnati police chief and forced a resignation. That case came about because one Sunday morning, I think this occurred back in 1977, there was a article published in the front page of Cincinnati Enquirer alleging misconduct on behalf of the police chief of the city of Cincinnati. And I thought that had to be, I, I, I didn't buy into that because we worked together in many cases. He was a very friend of mine and we were friendly and, and I thought that, that just didn't happen. But the following day, the city solicitor, not the solicitor, but the city um, safety director I think his name was, um, I forget his name. He came to me and asked me as prosecuting attorney if I had to look into the matter. And I thought about it and thought about it and I thought about it and I thought, well, somebody's got to look into it. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll go ahead and look into it. And I thought to myself when I agreed to look into it that what would happen is those allegations were totally false and the person who sent that letter to the Enquirer, would be charged with a crime against the police chief for making false allegations. Well, we start the investigation, and halfway through the investigation, things started to change, and, and, and what the allegations were seemed to be coming true, and I'll never forget when I had to go before the grand jury and indict the chief, ask the grand jury to indict the chief, I was physically upset, depressed, because the man, I just, I liked the man, and, and I just, you know, I just didn't want to have to do it. But the obligation of the oath I took made me do it, and I followed through, and we charged him, and we went to trial, and, and, and we convicted him in trial. Had I not convicted him in that trial, I can probably couldn't have won another election, because that charge divided this community quite Right in half. Half the people supported that chief. The other half didn't support him. And he was so popular that one time he had been mentioned of becoming a successor to the director of the FBI. And, and he was a popular man, there's no doubt about it. And, and I know my career would have, my short career at that time would have ended had I not got a conviction. Fortunately, we got a conviction. And, and as a result, I've been very successful in different positions in life. You've mentioned uh, these four major cases you brought to trial. Can you tell us, Is there are there any that you thought you should have but didn't? No. You know, you can be, as a prosecutor, prosecutor, 
you got two options. You can be an active prosecutor, which means that you go out and look for crime and determine whether or not there's been a crime. Or you can be a passive prosecutor, meaning that you sit back and you wait for law enforcement to bring any violations of law to you to prosecute. I just happen to be a type of guy. I'd like to look into things. And, and I, to this day, even as as a sheriff or the prosecuting attorney, I never in my entire career ever hesitate about looking into something I thought should be looked in looked into. I just that my, that was my personality. Well, you have run for office for 40 straight years and won every race. You've been in office since Nixon was sworn president. The Democratic Party never fielded an opponent in any of your many elections. Yet You've been pressured by the Republican commissioners to slash the sheriff's budget while trying to get funding to relieve jail overcrowding. Then you worked hard to bring that issue to the public about building a new jail. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, it was. um, We came very, very, very close to succeeding in getting a new jail made. I went before the commissioners on quite a few times talking about the need for a new jail. And they finally agreed with me, and they decided, well, when they build a new jail. I remember going to the, going out to the workhouse when the wrecking ball took down the, the old workhouse out there, and it was on a go. I thought plans were drawn. As a matter of fact, I think it was $6 million on developing plans for the new, the new jail. And I thought, well, let's go. They had spent the money for for the the plans. They had spent the money with for the wrecking ball to tear down the old jail out on. It was out. What the hell they call that area out there? It was. Um, we were out out there at Camp Washington, where the old workhouse was, and that's when they tore it down. And I don't know what happened. Apparently, they were pressured for money. They didn't have enough money to go through the project, and. Some outfit was running private jails, came to the commissioners and offered to to get a facility and make it into a, a jail and lease it back to the county, which apparently um, they thought would save them money. And in fact, and that's what they did. They made it. They had a contract with this company that redid a building down the West End, made it into a jail. It was you know wasn't much of a jail. It was an old building with. Beds on, they had, I think, four or five floors, and they just had beds in there. Somewhat security, but not not very good security. And that's what they did. They leased that building from them. I think they had it for about 10, 12 years, and and finally gave it up because they couldn't even afford that. The county commissioners couldn't afford running two jails like that, the old workhouse that they had out there and, and, and this facility. But the point probably is, had they... Get it went ahead and built that new new jail. They would have been way ahead of the, way ahead of the game because I don't know how much money they spent on leasing that facility over the years from that company. And I know in analyzing years back that had they built the the new jail, tore down the old workhouse and built the facility, we would have been way ahead of the game financially, and they wouldn't have the jail problem they have to this day. 
Well, you've also expanded the operations of the sheriff's office to patrol the Ohio River. You want to comment about I did that? A lot of things in the sheriff's department. I, I kind of ran. I was a former Marine Corps officer for many for three and a half years on active duty, almost three and a half years on active duty. And I, I'm a firm believer in, in, in all the training and requirements that the Marine Corps impose upon personnel. And what I did when I became sheriff, I decided to run that that company, the sheriff's department, like a, a Marine Corps company. And I added a lot of different assets to the, the department, such as the Marine Patrol out in the Ohio River. There wasn't much of a patrol out there, and there, the boating season was getting very big during those years. So I, I was able to purchase a couple boats and develop a, a Marine unit in the sheriff's department, our, and our function was to patrol the Ohio River. We just did it on weekends when the boating, the boating was very, very large during the weekends, and that's what we did. We, we patrolled the Ohio River for many years, and I don't know if the present sheriff still has that unit or not. The other thing you you pointed out was the fact that there are a lot of terminals and chemical companies along the river right. that needed protection right. in case in yeah, a terrorist... Companies along the river were very supportive of what we did there because, you know, it provided security for them, and, and yeah, we, we did a good job down there. Well, now, in 2013, when you retired, Jim McNeil was elected sheriff, and what did he do? He spent $50,000 to conduct an audit of your office. What you, got, what you got to understand the background there. He hired the former chief of the city of Cincinnati, a fellow by the name of Tom Stryker. And he's the one with, with another person who happened to be a, I forget his name, but he happened to be a gay. And the two of them studied the operation, and they wrote a very critical summary of, of my operation. But two things here that influenced that report. Number one is a former chief, because during my tenure as sheriff, I came very close to taking over the total operation of the Cincinnati Police Department because six councilmen came to me and said, Sheriff, would you be willing to take over the Cincinnati Police Department? And I said, sure, and I'll be, I'll be happy to look into it. And we started to look into it. And Stryker was aware of that fact, and he was very upset that the possibility was that we'd become department, we'd, we'd take over his department. And it was on a, it was going ahead and it was only happened until the city manager at that time came to me. I forget his name now, came to me and after several meetings, he asked me one more question. I said, we agreed to signing the collaborative agreement that they had, they had made previously. And I said, no, I won't sign the collaborative agreement because I got a, very efficient organization. We don't mistreat people, and I'm not they go in the saying because I'm not going in to sign that agreement. And as a result, one of the six councilmen who agreed to turn over the department to the sheriff's department backed out, and you had to have six councilmen to veto the mayor's setting it aside. Veto. If I didn't have six councilmen on board the mayor would have vetoed the, the vote. And Wendell Young was a councilman that backed out. And, and as a result, that ended, the, that ended the merger between the Cincinnati Police Department and the Sheriff's Department. 
because of that animosity by the chief striker at that time, and because of the animosity by by his, the other person, I don't remember his name, but he was a gay, they wrote a very critical summary of the sheriff's department. But how false that was, because the sheriff's department was considered and was a very efficient operation after all the years I've been there. It was just a top-notch organization. Most people recognize that fact. Yeah, that there was a Democratic commissioner who commented on that, and he said it was Cy Lisa's work ethics for his deputies that was discipline and restraint that meant that they knew other ways than drawing a weapon to settle a situation. It's one of the reasons why Cincinnati did not have the shootings involving sheriff deputies that you see in other places. What you got to understand, one other thing I forgot to tell you about why they wrote such a critical, critical summary of the sheriff's department, the two of them. A number of people in Over the Rhine came to me when I was sheriff and said to me, we're not getting a proper police support in Over the Rhine, and we need, we need some help. And would you be willing to come in over the Rhine and patrol over the Rhine? And I said, well, if I could get the funding to do that, I'd be happy to do it. So they went to commissioners, and I went to commissioners, and they gave me the funding to send deputy sheriffs in over the Rhine. And we patrolled in over the Rhine for about a year. And I'm telling you what, it was amazing. The people in over the Rhine had such respect for our sheriff's personnel, they gave us very little, if any, problem. For a year or so, when we were there, we had very, very few problems. And the people were extremely satisfied, very happy to have us there. And the funding ran out, didn't have enough funding to continue it, so that's when we pulled back. But between sending People in the jurisdiction of the city of Cincinnati, between almost taking over the entire department of the city of Cincinnati, and because of the, the, the man who was a gay, you know, knowing my position on gays, I'm convinced that's why they wrote that gay thing article. It's I, there in many townships and other villages have the sheriff's department. How did that happen? They don't have funding. The sheriff has jurisdiction in the entire county, no matter where it is. You know, if I want to go into Norwood and, and patrol Norwood, even though they have a police department, I could do it. I have that jurisdiction. I can go anywhere in the county and, and patrol if I want to. But as a matter, a matter of courtesy, if a department has a police department, you don't go in into that area. Unless there's corruption. If there's corruption, you go in and do, do the investigation and bring whatever charges you can develop. But many number of different political subdivisions don't have the necessary funding to have their own police department. So they sometimes they contract with us to provide services or sometimes we just do it because they don't have the necessary funding to even do that. One of the areas that you, the sheriff's department, polices is Sycamore Township, and yet they have a lot of money, and yet... They contract with the sheriff's department. They have a, a contract with this. I, you know, I, 
I don't have the figures anymore, but they spent a lot of money contracting with us to provide safety services for them. I see where Lincoln Heights, with all their problems over the years, they recently made a contract to the sheriff's department. They disbanded their police department, and now the sheriff patrols Lincoln Heights. Well, Cy, as we end this interview, tell the listeners about your life. You grew up in Cincinnati. Your dad was a judge. Your wife worked in a position at the historic Taft House. Your daughter is a Sims Township trustee. I've been in politics all my life, if you call it politics. I just I was a Marine Corps officer many years ago, and, and I remember my dad. He was a—Herbert uh, was a governor back then, was a young kid, and he was signed by the governor to go into Youngstown and clean up the, the gambling corruption up there. And I remember him talking about his experiences at the dinner table, and I kind of piqued my interest in being a, getting into law enforcement and being a prosecutor. And having gone in the Marine Corps, an officer can try cases in, in summary court martials. And I, I offered to offer to to be a special prosecutor, to be a special prosecutor in summary court martial, just to get the experience of what it feel like to be a prosecutor. And that really piqued my interest. And, and when he came out, I um, went to law school, passed the bar. I went to work for the city of Cincinnati, an assistant prosecutor. I was there for a couple of years, and then he became the first assistant United States District Attorney for the Southern District of Ohio, running the federal prosecutor's office here in Cincinnati. Did that for a couple of years, and I had no idea I could ever be the prosecuting attorney of this county. But one day, my father came to me and said, Ty, he said, um, Republican headquarters has come to me and asked me if if I step aside from being a judge, they want to appoint me prosecutor. And I told Dad, I, I, I don't want you to step aside. Just forget about it. And that was the end of the conversation. And the next time I heard, I was leaving the, I was leaving the office one, one night before Christmas. I think it was, it was Christmas Eve day when I was leaving the office, and I happened to see the headlines in Cincinnati Times Star. It was the Times Star was still in existence there. And it said, least to become prosecuting attorney. I said, what the hell is this? <laughs> I'll remember that as long as I live. I remember it specifically because in the headlines, in the headlines, it, it, they misspelled the word become. They had a B-O-M-E instead of B-C-O-M-E. <laughs> and that's how I very distinctly remember that. But anyway, that, that's how I got involved, involved in public office. And that was the beginning of, beginning of my, my political career. I've just been a very fortunate person, you know. I've had a wonderful career. I, you know, I wouldn't trade anything for what I have, from where, from where I've been able to go. And, and um, I love the Marine Corps. Had I not been a married man, I would have stayed as a Marine Corps officer. I just loved, I loved that structured life. And I kind of ran, I ran the offices that I held as, you know, as sheriff and judge and, and, and prosecutor. They ran somewhere along the lines of marine operations. It's just, you know, something I had carried through life. Well, thank you, Cy. But in closing, I want our listeners to know that you have been called the great three-in-one of the justice system in Hamilton County because of your accomplishments, not only as a prosecutor, a judge, and the sheriff since 1961. 
and thank you for sharing your public life stories. And I want to add to our listeners' information that Cy starts his day at 4 a.m. He stops for his morning coffee at the White Castle before he goes to work out at the gym. Correct. I've been doing that for years, many, many years. It, you know, I've, ever since Marine Corps training, I've always worked out every day just to maintain conditioning, and, and it's paid off. I'm an old man now. I'm 87, 87 years old, and I'm, I weigh about the same as I did when I entered the Marine Corps. It's all, only because I, I, I have worked out, and my health is good, and, and my mind's slowing down a little bit. That <laughs> comes with age, though. <laughs> Our listeners, here's what it's been for the life of a man of 87 years, and he's still getting up at 4 a.m. and working out at the gym. Thank you again. You're welcome. And gratitude to our listeners. If you have any ideas for future interview, contact me at highheelpolitics at gmail.com. And thanks to our producer, Ryan Kulik, for making this podcast possible. High Heels and Politics with Marianne Christie is produced and engineered by Ion Community. Music by Sharad Sate. Subscribe and listen wherever you find your podcasts.